Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for the sermon today is our epistle reading. St. Paul takes us on our roller coaster ride of sorts. In the first three verses, he drops us in a terrifying plunge, a hair raising freefall, describing the depths of the condition of all humanity. We are enslaved by our own sinful desires. And the world and Satan try to control us. And as we go through our free fall, then just when we think we are surely dead, and when Paul tells us that no, we are actually dead, he pulls us out of it, God does, and we see God's mercy and grace as he provides salvation for us in Christ. That's the big moment, the center of the ride, when we're headed down at a terrific speed, and when against all those G-forces were pulled up from death to life. As we understand and recognize our condition, then we are able truly to understand our redemption. Because of what Christ has done for us, we are made alive altogether with him. And in the last of our reading, as we climb out of the center of the ride, we thank and praise God for his astonishing grace and live a life for others. I want us to notice, first of all, and if you'd like to scroll back, if you're following along on the internet, scroll back to the epistle reading, I want us to notice, first of all, that Paul doesn't say, it's as though you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He doesn't say, it's like you were dead. No, he says, you were dead. You walked like it. I remember seeing a corpse for the first time, and I don't remember whose funeral it was, but I'll never forget how that body looked. It lay there, so still, no sign or movement, not even of breathing, the skin sort of an off-color, like a mannequin. You see that body and you know that there's no life in it. And like that corpse in the coffin, we can do nothing toward our salvation. To be dead means to be unable to help ourselves. The deadness of our sins means that we're powerless and beyond hope. Without God's grace, we don't even see our lost condition. We have no fear, love, or trust in God. And we were dead in sin by our very natures. We were conceived and born in sin. We inherited our fallen natures from Adam. King David says in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Natural man is corrupt and separated from God. Our natures are hostile to God and oppose Him. We are sons of disobedience, children of wrath, Paul says. Natural man cannot accept the gospel of Christ when it is preached to him any more than a corpse can pull itself out of the coffin. Martin Luther once said, A person is like a pillar of salt, like Lot's wife, Indeed, like a log and a stone, he is like a lifeless statue 
which uses neither eye, neither sense, nor heart. Indeed, all teaching and preaching is lost on him until he is enlightened, converted, and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And we can look back at, to our Old Testament reading, too. And we see the people of Israel as they wander in the desert, grumbling against God and against Moses. And because of their rebellion, God sends among them fiery serpents, poisonous snakes who bite the people. And once they're bitten, the people are going to die. So here we see an image of the effect of sin, which is rebellion against God. Sin is like the venom of the snakes, a poison in the body. The Israelites know that they are bitten. They are dead men. There is no cure, no way out. They can't do anything to help themselves. God's punishment, death, is coming to them. And the people repent. They come to Moses and they say, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. They recognize that only God can save them from his judgment for their sin. Only God can remove the poison that flows in them. And God does it. Because God is a God of grace. St. Paul knew that. Of all the apostles, he perhaps knew it best. Remember that Paul, then named Saul, was a great persecutor of the church in the book of Acts. He was a Pharisee who was inflamed with hatred for this man named Jesus, whom they had put to death, but whose followers continued to proclaim him the Messiah and risen from the dead. Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus, the followers of the way, he was on his way to Damascus in the authority of the high priest to arrest and bring back to Jerusalem any who were followers of Jesus. Saul was apparently leading the persecution of the church. Jesus had said to his followers, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Saul was the point of the spear. But God loved Saul. Jesus himself met Saul as Saul traveled to Damascus, and Saul was changed. A dead man was infused with life. God loved Saul. God's grace made Saul the persecutor into Paul the evangelist. God loved Saul just as God loves you just as he loved his people in the wilderness. As Moses prays to God on behalf of the people, God has mercy on them. Though they deserve death, he offers them life. Make a bronze serpent, God tells Moses, and hang it on a pole, and lift it up among the people, that any who are bitten, when they see it, will live. That any who have the poison of death in them, when they look to it in faith, will live. 
God is a God of mercy. God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul writes to Timothy in his first letter. Moses is to make a bronze serpent. And why a serpent? If the people were to be cured of the poison in their veins, why look to a poisonous serpent on a pole? Well, perhaps it's because the Son of God, lifted up on the pole of the cross, was also to be despised by men. Maybe it was because the last thing the people expected God's Messiah to be was a man condemned and crucified with common criminals. Maybe it was because Jesus, in order to cure the poison of our sin, was made to be sin for us, so that we rebellious people might become the righteousness of God. I think we should notice here, too, that God didn't give the people a recipe for an elixir. Go out and find this and that and mix them just so and you'll be cured. God didn't demand that the people do some sort of great work to show that they were truly sorry or or to make up for their rebellion. The salvation of the people there in the desert was simply to look in faith to the object of their salvation raised up in their midst on a pole. Jesus said, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. God wants to save people from their rebellion and sin by His grace alone. This is what happened in the wilderness as God gives life to the dead. God saves them by His undeserved love. This is what happened on the way to Damascus, as God gives life to Saul, who thought he was doing a great work and gaining God's favor, but who was instead dead in his trespasses and sins, a lost and condemned person, until God saved him by His grace. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through Him. This love and mercy that God has for rebellious sinners is what moved him to rescue us from our lost and condemned condition. God did not give us his grace because we were worthy or because there was even anything good in us, but simply because of his goodness and mercy and love for sinners. We receive his overflowing grace through Jesus Christ and Him alone. 
our conversion, we who were once dead and who have been made alive, we have experienced the miracle of God's grace. Through the working of the Holy Spirit, through the Word, we have been changed. We are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are God's beloved children, called out of the darkness into the light. God no longer sees our sin, but it has been removed from us as far as the east is from the west by what Christ has done for us. There has come a change in us through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And now that God has effected this change, because we are now justified by God's grace, we have a new desire, a new will, and new thoughts centered on Christ and His gospel. We desire not to sin, even though we still struggle with it. Our desire toward God is now to confess our sins, to repent, and by faith to receive forgiveness each and every day. Whereas our nature was hostile to God and turned us away from Him, now His Word and the sacraments direct us toward Him. Now we recognize God as the merciful Father, Jesus Christ as our Redeemer, and in Christ we recognize God as our Father. Heaven itself is open to us. Paul emphasizes that it is God who did all of this. Conversion is solely God's work. God has removed our spiritual deadness, our inability to trust in Him, and has given us new hearts, spiritual understanding, and a new will. We who were dead are now alive by grace, and we walk in that grace. And God's purpose is not just to give us temporary life here on earth. Our conversion by His grace has eternal consequences. His grace will be on display in us for eternity. Because our salvation is all His doing, our presence in heaven will be to His praise and glory forever. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. From our reading in Ephesians today. No one can boast that they are a Christian. God has done it all. Good deeds follow faith, Paul says. Sanctification follows justification. Even our good works are brought about by God. These works that we do have already been ordained and prepared for us. All we do is walk in them, walking in the grace by which we have been saved and giving all glory to God. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.